Hey, uh, we're, we're, we're back in week two of our series through the Book of Lamentations uh, this week, which is both exciting and challenging and, and interesting and bewildering at the same time. Um, if you haven't read the Book of Lamentations before, it's five chapters of probably the hardest book in the Bible to read. Uh, and and I don't hear me saying that as a, no, you shouldn't go and read it. Uh, you should go and read it because the Bible is given to us by God for a reason. Every word of it, every page of it, every book of it. And so it is good for us to immerse ourselves in all of Scripture, not just some of Scripture. Um, and so we're in Lamentations. Uh, we're in week two of Lamentations. And we're doing this as a three-part series. So this week we're coming to chapter Three Week one, we did chapter one and two, which will at some point be available on the website. Uh, we're making no promises around that at the moment because, because we got a bit behind in the COVID-19 thing. Uh, and then next week, we're doing chapter four and five. Um, but here, we're coming to chapter three. Uh, and before I get into that, I just wanted to address one little thing that you might have wondered last week, which is last week, I, I, I just started talking like this book was written by the prophet Jeremiah. Now, if you've sat down and read any of Lamentations in the past week, you might have come across the fact that it never says who wrote it. Uh, it, it. It never comes up in the book who wrote the book of Lamentations. And I don't want to get too bogged down in this, but it's just one of those questions that can be a bit distracting. So I thought I'd just throw it out at the start before we get into it. And, and my answer for that is that we have really good, solid early traditions that tell us that this was written by Jeremiah. Um, there's a strong Jewish tradition uh, that comes from before the time of Christ, uh, that, that includes it being attributed in the Greek Old Testament that was translated before the time of Christ, uh, that, that said that this was by the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, and there's also some, some serious literary similarities between the two. I'm going to go into a long description of that now. No, no, I'm not. Um, but uh, I'm going to get a hallelujah. Um, but yeah, it's supported by, there as well. Um, and there's more to be said about that, but we're just going to leave it there for now. Uh, and, and with that, I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to get into this. Uh, Jesus, thank you for your word. And thank you for the book of Lamentations. Lord, we are a people prone to failure when we come to the idea of struggling. We are a, prone, a people prone to covering and hiding our struggles. In a way, not dissimilar to Adam and Eve in the garden. When they blamed, when they hid behind the bushes, we are a people who are prone to pretend it's not there when we have problems. Uh, when, and not just problems of sin, but problems of struggle with suffering. And so, Lord, we ask that you would build us through your word, that we would be a people who can be honest and genuine with you in our struggles and honest and genuine with each other in our struggles. And we pray that you would do that through this book of Lamentations. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Now, quick question for you. What is the last movie that you watched? Uh, no shame, depending on what it was. Uh, Mission Impossible. Okay, there's some shame. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. Matt, I can shame him. Um, he's, he's the one person in the room. I'm not even sure what that is. So I, There you go. Yeah, I, I figured that. I, I, knew, I knew it wasn't a coaster. Uh, Hidden Figures? I've seen that. Um, that's that's the, the, the NASA one? Yeah, 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 okay. Um, uh, right, so, so uh, he, here's the thing about movies, okay? So, so I want, everyone got a movie that they've seen at some point in their life, I presume, maybe. Um, if you haven't, uh, think of a book. Uh, because there's a thing that happens almost universally in movies, uh, which is um, 
Universal except for in the worst movies, by the way. The worst movies don't do this well, and, and it's what makes them their movies 90% of the time. Uh, and it's called the, the, the storyline, which, which has this integral part, which is the conflict. Um, it's not just a, a movie thing, it's a story thing. You find it in books. You actually find it beyond books, you find it in history. When we tell history, we tell history about moments of conflict in history. We don't tell the history about the days when someone got out of bed and they had a shower and they you know, got ready for the day and they went to work and then they came home again. It doesn't make for a great story you know, the, when the conflict is getting to work, uh, or at least it's not one that lasts through the ages. Um, you know, we see it in action films, don't we? When, when there's always the bad guy. It's not a good action film without a bad guy. It's, it's, it's really just a guy going crazy with a gun. Um, you know, and, and it always looks like he'll win at some point in the film, doesn't it? We see it in romance films. There's always a moment where it looks like they're never going to be together, you know, and it's never going to work out. Isn't there? I mean, maybe you don't watch romance films. I am married, and that's my excuse. There we go. We'll go with that. Um, you know, murder mysteries. There's always a bit where it seems like the bad guy's going to get away with it. Um, also, there's a guy murdering people. Uh, and, and, and so on, right? And, and, and um, the... Sorry. Before I get too carried away with all this, uh, I'll return my question. What was the movie for you? Now, now don't yell it out. We've yelled out a few, but just get it in mind. And what was the... Conflict in your movie? What was the moment of desperation? The moment when despair reigned and everything seemed to be lost? And let me, let me pose you a little hypothetical further question on top of that. If you could go into your film or book and, and you had maybe two sentences to speak to the, the lead characters or the good guys in your film, what would you say to them? Have, have, have a moment. Just, just think through it through in your head. Don't need to yell it out. Just think, what would you say? I think almost universally, uh, our answers would come down to basically two things. One, probably the main one, is we would tell them how it ends. Right? Like, like if you get in there, and, and let me give you an example. You know, who's seen The Lion King? Anyone? Come on, there has to be Lion King people. It's one of the most universally seen films of all time. Um, you know, th there's the moment in it when Simba is, is cast out of the Pride Lands, he's hiding away with Timon and Pumbaa. They're having a great time, by the way. But um, that's by the by. Uh, and, and the Pride Lands are this desolate, green-lit place with no food, and the lionesses are there, and they're all starving, and Scar's in charge, and you don't understand a word I'm saying if you haven't seen the film, by the way. But, uh, but, but and, and you, and, and he's using his heightened by the way, and, and, and they were prepared. But, um, but, but you go into that moment, right? You step into that moment in the film. What do you tell the lions who are under Scar's oppressive rule? Well, you tell, them, you tell them the good king's coming, right? You tell them that Simba will come back and it's all going to be made right in the end. Um, unless you're just a really bad person and then you tell them that it's all going to be terrible and then you watch them as they're surprised when it turns out well. Um, what about... Uh, if you haven't seen that, what about Star Wars? Has anyone seen any of the Star Wars films? Um, I'm going to go original trilogy here, but uh, um, I'm sorry. Just, just, just assume it into your own film. Um, Anita's shaking her head really disappointedly at me about my taste in films. Um, yeah, 
Star Wars. The Empire has built the fully armed and operational battlestar, the, the, the Death Star, um, capable of destroying planets. Once again, only something that the people who uh, have seen it will understand there. Um, they appear undefeatable, right? The Empire, the bad guys, the good guy rebels, hopelessly outnumbered, outgunned. To cap it off, the bad guys have just found out where the good guys live, and they're coming to blow up the moon that they're on. Okay? What do you tell them? You're going to win in the end. It's going to be all right. The Death Star is going to get destroyed. The Emperor defeated. The Empire will fall. Justice will win. Peace will return to the galaxy far, far away. But, you know, and, and I said two things you'd say then, right? Um, because there's a, there's a logical question that Luke Skywalker is going to turn around and ask you at that point, right? Or, or Yoda or whoever you're talking to. He's going to say, well, gee, you know, it sounds great, but how do I know that's going to happen? How can you be sure? Uh, how can I know that it's going to turn out right? How can I know that you're right? You're just some guy who's popped up in a galaxy. And there's, there's, a, there's a universal answer to that as well, isn't there? Well, there's a director. There's, there's someone in charge of everything. I'm going to ignore Rick Cook for the moment, who's waving at me. Um, in charge of everything that's happening right now. And no matter what, that director will make sure that in the end, no matter how dark it gets, the good will prevail. It's in his nature. It's in his job description, in fact. All right, Rick. Lift up your force. No, never mind. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to seem particularly inept given the moment, um, but but here's the thing. Okay, let's take it out of the laughs and into the seriousness. Um, we all go through dark and hard times in our own lives, don't we? It's not just Luke Skywalker and the lionesses. We all go through times of struggle, and it's very common for us, as I've mentioned, as Christians, to go through times when we struggle so badly that we even uh, that we even might question what God's doing here. What is going on, God? We go through situations that, that we're in where well, we can't see what God could be up to with this particular thing that's happening. Yeah, I, I wonder, you know, I wonder what that struggle is for you. The dark moment that comes to mind when I say that. If you haven't had one of those moments, give it time. Uh, sorry, by the way. Um, we do all have them, eventually. Yeah, I remember, and this, this will seem pale in comparison to some of your struggles, but I remember uh, quite vividly the day, you know, several years ago now, and I've got a memory like a sieve, but I remember this one really well, when I found out that, that my papa, my grandpa, had died. Um, and, and, and I loved him dearly, and that was a, a real serious pain that I had to struggle through. I wonder what that is for you, that moment that comes to mind. That's one that comes to me. What are the words that you need to hear on days like that? Where do you turn for hope when the world seems to crumble around you? Now, like I said, today's our second week in the Book of Lamentations. And it's a book where the author is struggling, uh, struggling genuinely through the destruction of the chosen city, Jerusalem, and, and the unimaginable suffering of the people therein. And, and today we're going to get to chapter 3. And, and chapter 3 is kind of the, the, the molten core of the Book of Lamentations. It's, it's the big bit. Um, it's actually three times longer than any of the other chapters. 
uh, and and in this chapter, things get really personal for the prophet Jeremiah. You may remember that the book opened in, in chapter 1 with Jeremiah uh, struggling with the tense question of whether God was the city's judge or comforter um, before, before he nosedived in this, into the second chapter, into the possibility that perhaps God has come to judge, perhaps God has come to deliver final judgment, wrathful judgment on the people without any... Uh, release without any uh, relief. Uh, and, and 33 times in those 22 verses of that chapter, he attributed the destruction of the city to God himself. Uh, and where we left off last week, Jeremiah seemed just overwhelmed in the dark certainty that God had chosen to destroy the people altogether. But in today's chapter, um, today's chapter, he begins to grapple specifically with the, the wrath God has poured out on him personally. It goes away from the corporate and into the personal. And, it, and it's in the, the midst of pressing into his own suffering that Jeremiah finds hope. And accordingly, it's in this chapter that we find hope as well. And the first chunk, chunk of it that we get to from, from verses 1 to 21 open with these words. It says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. I am the man. In many ways, this part of the chapter echoes the despair of chapter two, uh, the major difference being how that it's personalized. He uses words like these. These are from verse 16 of chapter three onwards. He says, he has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Now, there's a, there's a couple of facts that probably um, intensified this personal struggle for, for the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was God's prophet for a start. Uh, he was chosen by God from his youth to deliver God's words to his people. So like us all, he was a sinner. He wasn't like the sinful nation around him, you wouldn't say. The, the, the nation was being punished for its lack of repentance, for its lack of coming to God, a thing which Jeremiah had been involved in calling them to repentance. He had been obediently following God's direction for many years, and yet still he receives the same wrath as the city around him. He receives the same situation. And what's more, God's promised Jeremiah that he would be there to deliver him. Right back in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 8 and verse 19, twice, when God called him to be a prophet, God promised Jeremiah, I'll be with you. I am with you to deliver you. How could this line up with what Jeremiah is experiencing here? It's kind of like for us, if we hear that all things work for our good and then we go through the loss of someone and we go, well, hang on, what's happening here? How can God be my deliverer how can God be Jeremiah's deliverer when Jeremiah is so downtrodden that he can say, my hope from the Lord has perished, it's died? This is where we, we get to, to verse 21 of this chapter. Um, this is the bit that everyone does a sermon on. They do a lamentation sermon, they skip the rest, and they do this bit. And there's a reason for that. Um, read this with me. Uh, this is from verse 21. If you've got a Bible and you haven't flicked open to it, please do so now.
Verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Now, before I get to the hope, just, just pause. Two seconds. The fact that he says that he's calling something to mind tells us something really significant. Nothing's changed in his circumstances. He's still sitting in the destroyed city, by, by all appearances, downtrodden, oppressed. Uh, but, but there's a truth in which he finds hope, even when his situation doesn't provide hope. So, so what does he call to mind uh, in the middle of this struggle and pain? Um, from verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Then you, every morning, great is your faithfulness. Here's, here's the hope that Jeremiah finds in, in the midst of suffering. However bad the situation may look, may be, however much it may appear to him that his, destruct, his destruction is upon him, he can say, I know the God who's in charge. I know the director of this situation, and I know his intentions towards me. He has set never-ending love on me. His steadfast love never ceases. Those words, actually, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Those make no sense unless you see that Jeremiah is looking at his situation through the lens of trusting that God is working toward a good end for him. How can it be true that his mercies are new every morning when every morning Jeremiah is faced with unthinkable destruction? You know, and if you don't think it's unthinkable destruction, go, go ahead and read the first few chapters of Lamentations, and you will by the end. He's like, uh, he's like the lions in The Lion King, right? If you, uh, if you told them about the director and the ending, and like Luke Skywalker, if he had been told that the director is in charge and, and the empire will fall. This is where Jeremiah is in this moment. Jeremiah knows that God is working mercy in his life now because Jeremiah knows that God's character is to steadfastly, relentlessly love his chosen people. And so he knows that for him, the end is good, even if he should die in the midst of getting there. And to just bring that hope in God to its forte, we get verse 24. Uh, and this, I believe, is the, is the key verse. Um, the, the, the beating heart of the whole book of Lamentations is found in verse 24 of chapter 3. Uh, he says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. This is, this is important. This is important for us. This is important for us when we struggle. Hope comes for the author and for us in one realization, that the Lord is my portion. Jeremiah realizes, drives himself to the realization, I have the Lord and I can't lose him. So you can take everything else. The city can be destroyed because I have the Lord. Matt said before, uh, one man plus God is the majority. There's, there's a similar saying, uh, God plus nothing equals everything. He knows, Jeremiah knows, because he knows that God loves him, that he will be with God one day and that he will receive his portion in full. And so hope breaks into his despair. Um, it's funny, we're on a Romans 8 day today. Uh, Romans 8.18, Paul says, I consider the, 
that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, Paul was a guy who suffered too, by the way. Um, there's a wonderful list of it in one of the Corinthian letters there somewhere. Um, but, but it's a similar sort of thing, right? He knows that the hope he has of being with God, the glory of his Lord, is better than the losses that he could suffer, even if he loses everything. Now, in a real way, what Jeremiah is doing here is he's preaching the gospel to himself. Now, you might hear me saying that, and you might think, well, hang on a minute, he's not, he's not mentioned the, the gospel at all. He hasn't talked about Jesus. He hasn't talked about the cross, the empty tomb. Uh, how, how could he? It's the Old Testament, right? Um, well, well, no, he hasn't. But, but the gospel at its core is God. At the, at the center of the gospel lies the person of God the glorious identity of God. And that's why the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, they are good news because they open the way for us back to God. They perfectly reveal to us who God is and, and his love and his justice and all about him is revealed best in the gospel. But in the Old Testament, the gospel exists in, in this not fully realized form because Jesus hadn't come yet. It exists in faith that God is good and faithful to us, his people. And so the author is preaching this gospel. He's preaching this good news to himself. And he spends the rest of the chapter in these two activities. One, he's speaking the gospel in his suffering, in the midst of it. Uh, and that's just purely reminding himself of the glorious truth of who God is. He's, he, regardless of his situation, he's actually um, just telling the gospel to himself. And then after that, he's speaking the gospel into his suffering. That is, he's jumping back into the painful struggle and applying the gospel to it. Uh, you don't get the book of Lamentations, by the way, unless you see that that's what influences not just this moment, but the rest of the book. Um, is that he has experienced gospel hope and he dives back into the struggle holding on to it. So in verses uh, 25 to 42, he continues to dwell on the gospel truth of how good and how mighty God is. He speaks the gospel in his suffering. He reflects on God's faithfulness to those who are trusting in him. And he says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Reflecting on his compassion on God's covenantal love to his people. He says, the Lord will not cast off forever. He writes, but though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. And reflecting on God's sovereignty, he says, it is not from the mouth of the Most High, uh, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? He reminds himself, God's still in charge right now. And he sees a hope for himself, and which, which could even stretch to the people around him, a hope that is in repentance, a hope that is turning from sin and throwing themselves at the mercy of God. And in the last third of the chapter, he speaks the gospel into the suffering, like I said. He speaks it to it. He dives back into the struggle, but it's different now. It would be easy to read this and, and, and lightly read through this chapter and just go, look, he's fallen back off the other end. Um, he's, he, he thought he had hope and then he's collapsed again. But it's different. 
Now that he sees that God is his unshakable hope, he returns to the, the pain he's experienced and he speaks that truth into the pain. He applies the truth he knows to the situation that he sees. He still struggles. He's clearly still agonized here by what has happened and is happening. But now his pain's mixed with this solid hope. And we see a significant, a few significant changes in how he speaks. Read a few of these verses with me. We're going to go to verse 45. He says, you have made, made us scum and garbage among, among the peoples. Now, that's not super optimistic. Clearly, that's very painful. But do you see the difference between, now it's, it's subtle, but do you see the difference between this and what, what he was saying earlier? Uh, maybe this is a good time to say, um, read the book. I think I've already said it, but it's, it's, you've got you to pay attention in here. And when, when you read it, you'll see a change here. Um, he's actually started here to, st to speak with God. You know, compare it to, say, verse 2, uh, where he said, he has driven, he has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. What's the difference? At the start of the chapter, and indeed for the whole book so far, Jeremiah has spoken about God. He has said what God has done as a statement about God. He has lamented God's action in destroying the city. He has lamented God's action in bringing about his own suffering as well. But in all these, it's been talking, speaking about God. Um, but now, notice the pronouns. Lamentations is a pronouns book, by the way. You don't get it unless you see the pronouns, because they change throughout it. He moves from he has, he has, he has, to you have, you have, you have. And that's significant, because once the author sees that his real uh, solid hope is in God, and only in God... He has no choice but to take his struggles to God in prayer. It turns from statement to prayer at this point. But when we know who God is, and when we know beyond doubt that he loves us and is working for our good, then we take our struggles to him and speak, cease to just speak about him. And so he returns to his pain and again he dwells on it on the struggle but now he's trusting God. Jeremiah speaks of his situation as though he's been thrown into a pit covered in rocks and the waters rising and from the darkest moment with least hope he found hope from God. Verse 55 he writes, I called on your name O Lord from the depths of the pit you heard my plea do not close your ear to my cry for help you came near when I called on you, you said do not fear and he concludes this whole chapter on the, on the thought that God has redeemed him, even though his suffering still remains, and God will punish those who have oppressed him. And, and, and it's worth saying, just a quick side note, for us, that is an eternal truth rather than an immediate one. We don't live to punish the people of the world around us, even if they have oppressed us. And, and it's one which is always temp tempered for us by the fact that we know that we were the enemies of God until Jesus brought us near. But do you see it? Stepping out of that particular point, do you see it? Do you see what's going on here, what Jeremiah is doing here? He's taking the gospel and he's speaking it to himself. He's seeing the truth of who God is towards him and speaking that into his situation. He's putting it against the suffering. He's willing 
to press into the suffering rather than to avoid it because he trusts God. He trusts that the Lord is bigger than his struggle and the, the Lord will work good for his people in the end. So there are two powerful truths I want to bring us to here. First, and this is so, so vital for us when we walk through suffering. So vital for us to get this. True hope is the person of God for a Christian. I'll say it again. True hope is the person of God. God is our hope. There we go. That's an easier way of saying it. Like the author of Lamentations, our desire and satisfaction should be that we that he would be our portion. When our hope, when our desire is anywhere other than the person of God, then we, we lose the central, the, the gospel truth of our faith. We, we despair. We fall apart. We can be so prone to it if we lose the fact that God is the center of our hope because nothing else truly satisfies apart from God and anything else can be lost. But God truly satisfies and if he has saved you, he will not lose you. If your hope is, is a comfortable, healthy life, let's say, then you'll find that that eludes you at some point in your life. I'm a nurse. I run into this every now and then, actually. Uh, it's going to be challenged. Uh, and, and, and you'll lose your hope. Our hope is not popularity. Our hope isn't fame. Our hope isn't fancy toys and clothes. Um, those things offer so much satisfaction, and yet it's in our experience that they don't deliver what they offer. Not in a meaningful sense. Don't they leave that gap still in you that you thought they would fill? Our hope isn't a spouse. Our hope isn't a family. Once again, they can be challenged and lost. They are not made to give us full satisfaction. God is our hope. And because God is our hope, we never need to lose hope ever as Christians. Now, um, hear that just against the fact that that doesn't mean that we don't struggle. That doesn't mean that we don't feel like we lose hope, but like Jeremiah, we can press into the struggle and find that hope again. Let me put this against a, a really common truth um, that, that, that many Christians hold to, I think, uh, and even subconsciously, uh, and that I believe is, is more harmful to our faith than, than we might think it is. Our hope is not the place of heaven. The hope of the Christian life is, is not, rather, believe in Jesus and you'll go to heaven. That's not it. Our hope is God. Let me explain what I mean. Um, many of us uh, Christians, we seem to live our lives with this perspective that my hope is that one day I'm going to be somewhere else, somewhere better. I'm going to go to heaven. Now, that's true. Don't get me wrong. And I'm happy that it's true. If you're a, you are in Christ, then you will be in a better place one day. Uh, but still, it isn't the center of our hope. And if it is the center of our hope, then it often distorts how we live in the here and now in funny ways. Um, to put it in the context of Lamentations, there's a world of difference between heaven is my portion, therefore I will hope in it, and the Lord is my portion, therefore I will hope in him. Uh, let, me just, let me just quickly uh, detail a few of the, the key differences for you, because, because I know um, it might just sound like I'm splitting hairs, right? Um, really, and it's not. Perhaps, perhaps the key one is, if my hope is in heaven, then my hope is just 
in the future. I have an exclusively future hope and I am passively waiting for that hope to come about. But if my hope is the Lord, then my hope is in the future and in the now. Do you see? It's like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, now I see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Here's what the that difference could look like. If God uh, is our hope and our desire, then we might live out our lives with the certainty that in Christ he is ours. If heaven is our hope, then you will have Christ to get to it. If God's your hope and your desire, you will uh, speak the gospel of the goodness of your God. That's your good news, is who God is and what he has done. Because who doesn't talk about the things that they love, right? Who doesn't talk about the things that they have hope in? If heaven's your hope, then you may well speak the good news of entry into eternity, but God will only be the, the tool to get there. If God's your hope and your desire, you will fight sin and take personal transformation seriously. Sin is, right from the Garden of Eden, the thing that separates people from God at its core. And transformation for the Christian is transformation into the likeness of Jesus. We become more like our God. Becoming like what we love, becoming like what we hope for, becoming closer to the one that we love. If heaven's your hope, then you may still take the fight with sin seriously. Don't, take, don't get me wrong. But your best reason to do so has been undermined. If your faith is just, I've trusted Jesus, so I'm going to heaven, then the amount of sin in your life is, is to some extent, irrelevant, do you see? Personal transformation takes a back seat. If God is your hope and your desire, then like we see in Lamentations, you will be able to face terrible, terrible tragedies. And you will struggle with them, but you will not lose hope. Because the one you hope in cannot be taken away. He can't be lost. And you know that he is working all things to bring you to him. And what's more, you will still communicate hope to others. You won't close off in those circumstances because as their hopes are stripped away, yours will remain. You'll be a picture of hope because your hope can't be taken. In contrast, if heaven is your hope, then when suffering comes you may well hole up and wait for the end. You might hide away instead of carrying the message of current and future hope to the world around you. I said two things. Second thing, and this is an extension of what we said last week, actually. Um, having God as our hope, knowing the director and knowing the that he is working for our good uh, enables us to face our struggles and our pain enables us to turn into them. We should be able, as Christians, to lament. We can be countercultural in this, in being uh, open with our struggles in a world that covers struggles up. Because we have real hope from a sovereign God in the midst of them. This isn't just a, a, a lamentations lesson, right? In this we can... Follow the example of our saviour, Jesus, who, who lamented. You look at Jesus in the, the garden of Gethsemane in the night before he died, and he laments. His, his sweat was like great drops of blood 
we read, and he wept and he prayed that the cup of suffering would be taken from him. And yet he said, not my will, but yours. We can follow him in being able to lament, yet not turn away from God in the lamenting. Now, now, certainly we're not called to be constantly depressed as the people of God. We're not called to be mopes. That's because the Bible tells us that we have an undefeatable hope in the person of Jesus. But if we really believe that, then the, the biblical answer is not to run from our struggles. It's not to uh, leave them or hide them. It's to engage them, to let ourselves encounter the suffering and the doubt, to speak the good news of our God into that situation and to trust him to win out in the end, even if it's in ways that we don't understand. You know, I, I mentioned at the start the story of uh, when I lost my papa. And that one, that one brings us home for me. In, in early 2015, um, when we were visiting family in South Australia, when we were living up in Brisbane still, um, uh, he became suddenly unexpe unexpectedly unwell, seemed to come and go a fair bit. Um, he seemed to get better for a while and then he'd get sicker for a while. And after a while, the doctors uh, did catch on to what was going on, did some tests, and eventually he was diagnosed with leukemia. Um, you know, when it came time for us to head off to go back to Brisbane, um, uh, we, we stopped in at the hospital. I was studying in Brisbane at the time, so we had to head back for the start of term. We stopped in at the hospital one more time. Uh, and, and honestly, he said that he thought he had years left of his life. Yeah, less than a fortnight later, February 16th, um, yeah, I had this text from my mum to say that Papa died peacefully at 1.45 this morning. Now, he'd never been a Christian. Um, and although we'll never know what happened uh, in his heart in those last days um, when he became unconscious and was still hearing the gospel from, from uh, friends, from family, um, you know, he may never have come to a saving faith. What do we do when we face that situation? You know, with, with tears and with pain, with struggle, I had to go through that. Uh, it wasn't just one that I could brush off. I didn't just have to deal with him being gone, but with the thought that um, he may have died an unrepentant sinner. And that he, may, that he was going to face the consequences of that if that was the case. You know, I... In that time, I had to throw myself on this reality as I faced that. The Lord is my portion and my only hope. And I know his love toward me because his very son died for me on the cross to save me. I, I um, found that God, through his goodness in the gospel, uh, reinforced my faith in that time and comforted me in ways that I still can't explain. Uh, I still can't give you a dot by dot of why that helped me through it. It just, God was faithful because the Lord is my portion. And so here's my, my, my closing encouragement is let's, let's turn into our struggles here at Gospel Church as a people. And then if you're not from Gospel Church, please just take this as a lesson for you to walk away with. Let's bring the gospel to our struggles. Let's, let's dwell in the truth of who God is and what he's done when we face struggles. Right. Would you pray with me? Thank you.
Lord, um, we want to we want to echo the words of Jeremiah and say, "You are our portion. You are our hope." We pray that you'd centre us on that reality. That you would lead us to be a people who are not captured by by secondary hopes or by false hopes, but that our hearts would be so set on the joy of knowing you, of growing in the likeness of Jesus and of going to be with our Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You died once for sinners that you might bring us to God. The righteous for the unrighteous, you did this for us. And in this we see the character of our God towards us, that his steadfast love never ceases and his mercies never come to an end. Centre us on that hope, Lord, and make us a people who when we face challenge, when we face struggle and suffering, uh, we can be open with you in that. Make us a people who are fortified in the hope of the gospel and who uh, can be so vividly countercultural, can display that gospel in the fact that we don't hide our struggles, we speak them with each other, we, we love to bring them to each other because we know that we speak the gospel into each other's struggles. We know that you've given us brothers and sisters to speak hope to us. We know that you love your children and you love to speak hope to us and to have us find our hope in you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would make us that people who are open with struggles, finding hope in you, and, and sitting on that hope, standing in that hope, and living in that hope every day. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord, who gives us the hope. Amen.